The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. It's a November 2nd edition of the PFT PM Podcast. And if you listened yesterday, first of all, thank you. Second of all... You may recall that I said there won't be an edition of the PFTPM podcast today. Well, there is. So I apologize for giving you something else to listen to. I apologize for cluttering up your inbox in your podcast files as they get downloaded. Hopefully you're subscribed to the PFTPM podcast. And if you did, you get this one. And the reason we decided to do this, I'll be talking coming up in a few minutes to Vikings receiver Stefan Diggs, the 6-2 and two Vikings, on a bye this week. Amazingly 6-2. and two. Where do they go from here? We'll talk to Diggs coming up. Before that, though, a couple of topics that I've been thinking a lot about today. First of all, on Wednesday, the Papa John's CEO came out and bashed the league. Leadership of the league, the failure to get the anthem controversy under control. His quote was, it should have been nipped in the bud a year and a half ago. Some strong stuff from John Schnatter blaming the underperformance of his company from an earnings standpoint, on the NFL anthem controversy. And there's plenty of graphs out there that reveal that the numbers were dropping for Papa John's well before football season started. But regardless, the point is, he said it. And the question is, why did he say it? And there are people in the league who believe, not league office, although I assume the people in the league office believe this, people with other teams believe that John Schnatter was instigated in whole or in part by Jerry Jones, the owner of the Cowboys. Jones, as we've discussed multiple times and probably will keep discussing, seems to be trying to derail Roger Goodell's contract extension, possibly to get enough owners to get rid of him or to drive such a hard bargain that Roger Goodell says, I don't want your stupid extension. I'm going to take my $200 million that I've made over the last 11 years and move on. Either way, it feels like Jones is now going outside the family to establish and build some support. And the best place to go is to go to the sponsors. That was the tweet that got Jamel Hill suspended by ESPN, that if you're not happy with Jerry Jones saying players must stand for the anthem, attack the sponsors. Jones now attacking the sponsors, not encouraging Papa John's to stop doing business with the NFL, mind you, but encouraging Papa John's to speak out against NFL leadership. And the reason people believe that is that Jerry Jones is one of the top franchise owners in the entire Papa John's chain. At last count in 2014, he owned more than 100. And the relationship dates back to 2004, at which time Papa John's became the official pizza of the Dallas Cowboys, because really nothing says football like pizza, although... A lot of pizza gets eaten while watching football. Not much gets eaten while playing football. And not much is available in the locker room before, during, maybe after a game if you win. Regardless, that's when the partnership began. And Jones acquired a 49% stake in 71 Papa John's restaurants as part of that transaction. So here we are, 13 years later. And Jones owns, again, as of 2014, more than 100 Papa John's franchises. There's enough of a connection there 
to reasonably conclude, given everything Jones has been doing, the obsession he has with the Goodell contract extension, that Jones poked and prodded, instigated, stirred it up, and got Schnatter to come out and say some pretty strong things about NFL leadership. And I think the connection, because here's the thing, we could say, okay, it was coincidental. Jones had nothing to do with it. His fingerprints weren't on it. John Schnatter operated completely independently of anything Jones ever said or did about Roger Goodell. Fine. Even so, the connection between the two guys is strong enough that I believe Jones needs to come out and disavow the remarks and say that John Schnatter is incorrect, that John Schnatter does not speak for me, that John Schnatter needs to understand that there are many factors that come into play here, and the NFL has nothing to do with the financial struggles of his company, period. I don't think Jones is going to do that. 105.3 The Fan on Friday. That's when Jones will do his second weekly hit, and I'm assuming that the folks at 105.3 The Fan will ask him about what Papa John had to say. If not, they should. Hopefully they will. I got something also to say about the NFL's current replay review process. It's broken. And I don't know why. I think I have an idea how this happened. What happened was the NFL was moving in the direction of where it now is, of having the league office responsible for all decisions made during replay review. And that process was put in place under the assumption that Dean Blandino, the former senior VP of officiating, was a lifer at the league office. His name had come up from time to time in connection with the possibility of being the next commissioner. And when the NFL decided in March that the final decisions would be made at 345 Park Avenue on replay review, Blandino's the guy. And then several weeks later, Blandino's not the guy because Blandino has decided, I've had enough. Because it's one thing to be the guy who's making the decisions on game days. It's another thing to deal with all the other crap that the job entails. Supervising officials, working through the political realities of being in the league office, plenty of stress and strain there. I guarantee you, plenty of stress and strain there. It's it's a very starched collar type of an environment, right? He's probably making more money, he's working less, and how can you blame him? And once you carve out that niche, right? It's Blandino and Mike Pereira on Fox. At some point, Pereira retires. It's Blandino. And Blandino's good at it. Blandino's so good at it, they were going to make the guy the final say on replay review. So, Blandino goes, his top lieutenant slides into the job. And one of the big criticisms of Blandino, he never was an official on the field. I think that helps him when it comes to applying the proper standard. Because you've never made these decisions in real time. What do I see? What did I see? How do I do this? You're just looking for clear and obvious evidence that the ruling on the field was wrong. doesn't matter whether... You agree with the ruling or disagree with the ruling. You're looking for clear and obvious evidence that it was wrong, period. That's it. That's the standard. And Blandino was always very good at that. I first became concerned about Al Riveron, who was a referee before joining the league office. I became concerned after that Patriots at Jets game where Austin Safarian Jenkins fumbled the ball as he was approaching the goal line and Riveron overturned the ruling of a touchdown by saying, essentially, under the standard, it was clear and obvious that Safarian Jenkins had failed to repossess the ball, regain control of the ball before he landed out of bounds. And it's like, I, I don't see it. It's got to be clear and obvious that was wrong. It's not clear and obvious that the ruling of touchdown was wrong. And now, I think this one's even more glaring. 
the Zach Miller play where his knee dislocated. He was falling in the end zone. It was ruled a touchdown on the field. And Riveron overturned it. Now, in this case, just like in the Safarian Jenkins case, both Blandino and Pereira have come out and said, Riveron got it wrong. This time, they're even stronger. This time, Blandino didn't just say it was wrong to overturn it. Blandino said if the ruling on the field had been incomplete, the visual evidence was strong enough to overturn it to touchdown. That that's how strong it was. Pereira basically said, what in the hell is the world coming to? Why are we even reviewing these? And a video was posted, I think Wednesday, by the NFL with Riveron explaining what he saw. And if you listen to his words, it sounds very persuasive and authoritative. But then you look at at the, the video as he's doing it, and it's like, wait a minute, is that the same play? There's one point where he says that the ball hits the ground, and you've got to squint to even begin to understand what in the hell he's talking about. And, and I think the rule should be, I think the Mike Holmgren explanation was 50 drunks in a bar have to agree that it was a bad call before you overturn it. I, I think that there also, also should be a, a separate test. If you have to squint, it's not clear and obvious. If any type of leaning forward or squinting is involved, it's not clear and obvious. It has to be clear and it has to be obvious. It's not an exercise in Al Riveron making the ruling from 345 Park Avenue. That's not what it's supposed to be. And if it's changed, they need to tell us it's changed. Because we now have two examples of situations where Al Riveron has supplied his own judgment, not applied the standard. And this one with Zach Miller is troubling. And it just makes you wonder what's going on, right? What's going on with these replay reviews? It's not the clear and obvious standard. And again, if the standard has changed, let us know so the rest of us can figure out and predict what's going to happen with these rulings. I don't think anybody thought the Zach Miller play was going to result in a reversal. You watch that thing in real time, there is no way you can say it's clear and obvious that it wasn't a catch. And you break it down frame by frame. There's a couple of points where Riveron's saying, here, the ball's loose. It doesn't even look loose. And at a minimum, it's not clear and obvious that it's loose. And there's no way it's clear and obvious that he failed to catch the ball. I, this is disappointing to me. And, and it could be that Blandino's the only guy who could pull this off. It could be they have to find somebody who never worked as an official to pull it off. But if the NFL is going to be honest about its own failures, its own flaws, its own areas for improvement, it needs to be honest about the fact that someone needs to say to Al Riveron, you're applying the wrong standard. And if he doesn't apply the right standard, then he's not the right person for the job. It's that simple. And I know that sounds harsh, and I like Al. I've talked to him a few times. He's been on PFT Live. But I, at some point, you have to say there's a disconnect between what we're supposed to get and what we're getting. And these games mean too much to too many people to have a vague, amorphous, and ultimately incorrect application of what should be a clear standard, clear and obvious. The only thing clear and obvious is they're not following that standard. Okay, and as promised, joining us now, Vikings receiver Stephon Diggs. Stephon, the Vikings at 6-2 and two on a four-game winning streak. Is this a good time for a bye or a bad time for a bye? Um, I feel like we're in a good place, you know, um, as far as like moving in the right direction. And we came back and, you know, still got to work this week. We didn't really take a lot of time off. So uh, you, sh- you should enjoy your time. But it's never a break. It's just a time away. So you still should be flipping pages and, you know, staying sharp. 
And it really is in the perfect spot from the standpoint of rest because you play eight games, you get a week off, and you got eight more games on the back end and hopefully more beyond that if you make it to the postseason. How do you guard this year against what happened last year? Because last year it was 5-0 and and it fell apart. This year it's 6-2. and How do you keep that from happening again? Um, just as far as like how we did it this week, you know, we came back, we got to work, we stayed the course, um, still on the uphill, you know, just grind mode and, you know, trying to get that chip back on our shoulders this second, this second wave around, you know, these next eight games is going to be huge. So uh, I would say, you know, last year we also had a lot of injuries, you know, injuries was, you know, was a big thing last year and it, uh, it, it hurt us, you know, it, it, honestly, it just hurt us and we, uh, we fought while we could and, you know, until they start, started making an impact, but you'll never make an excuse and we try to make it work the best that we could. You missed some time this year with a groin injury. How's that right now? I'm good. I'm good. I, I'm, I played. I played last week. Uh, I was just more more happy just to be back in that huddle, back with my guys, and you know, haven't seen them in a while, so get to push some guys around in there. How different is Coach Zimmer this year in comparison to last year? Um, from from my standpoint, it's, it's kind of hard to say. You know, uh, being a young player, you know, you don't really gauge on the personality of your coach. You know. He doesn't, he doesn't really change as far as like his approach to the game and how he wants us to work and the things he wants us to get done. You get When he's grumpy, he's grumpy. You know, you might get a half a smile every <laughs> once in a while, but <laughs> I don't see too much of a change. You've got some receivers who are stepping up. Adam Thielen having another yeah. great season. Laquan Treadwell starting to, to contribute offensively. R- right now, who would you say, other than you, has the best hands on the team? Um... I don't know. It's hard to say because we we argue about this all the time, and we all we all think we have the best hands. And uh, Adam has Adam has some good hands now. Those those yellow gloves, the ball pretty sticks to pretty well. So I don't know. It might be Adam. I'm not sure though. But don't tell him I said this. Wait, wait. Are you saying he's got like better gloves than you have? No, 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 no. I'm saying I got I got the better hands. But don't tell him I said he has. He might have the better hands as well, or have just as good what? hands. But you said something about the gloves. I'm just, I mean, because I know how these, I know I've had the gloves on. The gloves help. <laughs> they definitely help. Yeah. I'm just thinking maybe gloves. he's got some new technology that we're not aware of. No, no, no. I would say if Adam took those gloves off, his hands would still be good. It's, I just say he got, he likes to rock, he likes to rock the yellow ones. So I just say those are his favorite. But if he had no gloves, he'll still be catching the ball. You guys need to have some sort of a weekly hands competition where, you know, like they do in Arizona, the guy who loses has to wear some silly suit. Uh, you know, maybe the, the guy who wins gets to wear the special gloves in the next game. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to think about that as far as like whoever wears no gloves for a whole practice and catches all their passes or something like that. That'll be the real test. What changes have you seen this this year in Laquan Treadwell? Because, I mean, you, you two have very different stories. You came in at a lower round. You had an impact right away. He was a first-rounder. He struggled last year. But he he finally seems to be delivering on that potential. What what have you seen in him that's caused him to get to a point where he's starting to, to make a difference offensively? Uh, just as far as work ethic, he's been at the grind. You know, um, everything doesn't go your way, and he understands that. And, he uh, you know, he had an injury last year as well. So just as far as, like, him, you know, staying the course and and staying positive throughout the whole process and he is finally coming along exactly right when we need him to right when we need him to so he's doing a great job the injuries this year haven't been as numerous as last year but this year you've had the Sam Bradford situation Dalvin Cook gone for the year how much did last year's mess help the team process and deal with adversity and disappointment this year um, just as far as uh, the mental part, you know, we also had Teddy go down last year for the guys that were on the team before Sam. So um, just as far as, like, knowing that things are going to happen, guys are going to go down, this is the NFL, and, you know, it's a 100% injury rate as far as, like, because it's a contact sport. So 
um, just knowing that when other guys come in and we have we have the depth, the other guys come in and we'll we'll be fine. You know, we'll we'll find a way and we'll make it work no matter what. You mentioned Teddy Bridgewater. He's going to be joining the active roster soon. Your coach made that clear earlier this week. What, what's, the, what's the mood in the locker room, especially the guys who catch passes? You've got Case Keenum, who's doing a good job. You've got Teddy Bridgewater, who's close to coming back. H- how do you process this reality that at some point over the next eight games, there's a good chance it's going to switch from Keenum to Bridgewater? Um, I would say for us, it's not something that we even really talk about or think about. Uh, especially in the receiver room, you know, we we got a hard enough job as is to hold down. So uh, we just try to put 100% faith in whoever they do put back there. And, you know, we're going to support them no matter what it is and um, no matter what's going on, no matter uh, the situation. So we just have faith in whoever they put back there. But we got to catch the ball anyways, regardless on who's throwing it. How different are the two quarterbacks when it comes to the delivery, the ball, how easy it is to catch, how hard it is to catch? Is there a big adjustment between Keenum and Bridgewater? I wouldn't say, you know, as far as like uh, ball placement and that type of thing, they have, we all have spots on where the ball is supposed to be, when it's supposed to be there and that kind of thing. It's all, it's, it's relative the same with every, with every quarterback, but uh, spin wise and all that, we don't get into all that, especially at receiver. We just, we just can't get about catching the ball. That's the job. You guys have a very good defense and some guys who are doing very well this year. Who's one guy on the Vikings defense that you would not want to mess with? Um, it depends, you know, uh, it depends on what day I'm having. If I'm waking up grumpy, then I probably don't want to mess with LJ, especially at the nose tackle. Or if I'm like, if I'm in a, if I'm in a good mood, I wouldn't want to mess with Ed coming off the edge. These are, these are two, you know, these are two, some great players, but they also a little crazy. So, you know, stay away from them. I sense a quiet confidence, and maybe it's not all that quiet. Everson Griffin said after the win over the Browns, it's the best Vikings team he's been on. What, what's the what's the thought process for a team that's six and two? And a lot of people say, "Hey, no one expected the Vikings to be six and two. What do you carry into the second half by way of what this team is capable of doing? Um, I had hinted on earlier before when I I had spoke with someone, just as far as like getting a chip back on your shoulder. You know, uh, nobody wants you to be here. Nobody. Everybody's going to, you know, pat you on the back or, you know, uh, be on your side when things are going good. But we need to get that chip on our shoulder that, you know, nobody thought we would be here. And if they feel like we shouldn't, we, should, we also got a lot to prove. You know, it's a long, long season. And this second tier around, this, these next eight games is going to be huge for us. And we need to go out there, you know, because we got a lot to prove. And, and, and even now that you guys are 6-2, and two, when they talk about the best teams in the NFC, it's the Eagles, it's the Seahawks. And, and the Vikings are still lost in that conversation. I, I get the impression you like it that way because that gives you something you can, you can point to and say, hey, here's a reason to have a chip on our shoulder. Yeah, everybody in that building, everybody in that locker room loves, loves being doubted. Everybody loves being in that, you know, that gray area. Not really nobody cares about or nobody thinks they can do anything just because that, you know, that's a good place to be in. You know, everybody loves to be an underdog. Everybody on that team loves being an underdog, you know, having a lot to prove each and every day. Uh, and that's, that's what makes – I just say that's what makes us, you know, jail as a team and makes us come together each and every day and every game because, you know, we all, we all out there fighting the same fight. A quick question, Stefan, about the X's and O's. When you arrived, North Turner was the offensive coordinator, and then last year you went yeah. through the transition from Turner to Pat Shermer. How different now is it than it was when you got in Minnesota? How different is the offense? Um, it's kind of hard to say because, you know, being a young player, you get in a lot of information. And now that I've been in, been in 
both offenses. You know, it's kind of hard because I know more. You would have to ask somebody who's like kind of like just got into it. Because uh, once you learn it, you kind of learn it, and you know, in, in the league, everything is pretty much week to week. So it's kind of like that's kind of a hard question. You played college football at Maryland, and you're going to Washington this weekend or next weekend yeah. after the bye week. Uh, any does that give you any extra motivation? Do you got to get more tickets uh, for the game? <laughs> what, what are the thoughts of playing playing at FedEx Field? I love going back home. You know, uh, of course, I got to get a couple of tickets for my family members and a couple of friends, but uh, I'm not really concerned too much about it. I take care of that type of stuff earlier in the week, but I love going home. I love playing. It's a great risking team, so it's going to be a challenge for us, and we look forward to it. Hey, and it's easier to buy those tickets when you have a partnership with a company like Old Spice, Stefan. Thanks, as always, for some of your time. And <laughs> I know, I know, I know how it goes. Hey, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. All the best, buddy. Thank you, boss. Appreciate it. And once again, that's Stephon Diggs, Vikings receiver. Thanks to him for some of his time. And amazing to see the Vikings at 6-2 and two when they really have been through plenty. And no one believed that they would be as good as they are. Everyone expected the Browns to be bad. They're worse than we expected. We expected to see some improvement this year. They're 0-8. And not only are they losing games, they are doing really stupid things off the field. And this A.J. McCarron thing, I know they'd love for me to stop talking about it, which is one of the reasons why I choose to keep talking about it. But... They, they spent time Wednesday trying to convince people that they followed the right procedure for the A.J. McCarron trade. At some point, you just have to admit we screwed up. And I think all they're trying to do at this point is get enough people in the media to say that the Browns didn't do anything wrong so they can send those links to ownership so ownership doesn't fire anybody. That, that's what I think is happening here. And I think PR is involved because ultimately PR knows that if there's a new regime, then there may be a new PR person. And the the latest development since all of this is the idea that, that Brown's ownership is very upset by what happened and they're making it clear. And, you know, I, I that's a compliment. It's good that ownership is waking up. The biggest mistake that ownership of the Browns could make is to not fire people because they're trying to distance themselves from a reputation for firing people too easily. And we know the revolving door that was in place and they're trying to get away from that. But, you know, you can't, you can't give your current employees immunity because you don't want to be criticized for firing people at some point you've just got to do it and this gets back to the point that i've reached when it comes to the browns everything they do is going to be the wrong thing you take action you make a decision wrong decision you make that decision instead wrong decision you make no decision wrong decision you take carson wentz it probably wouldn't have worked you take deshaun watson it probably wouldn't have worked and how about that Carson Wentz and Deshaun Watson, the two guys on which the Browns passed in 2016 and 2017, one is the NFC Offensive Player of the Week, and the other is the AFC, no, of the month, NFC Offensive Player of the Month, and the other one is the AFC Offensive Player of the Month, and also the NFL's Offensive Rookie of the Month. It's bad for the Browns. And I think it's mustering every bit of restraint that ownership can bear to not fire everybody. And also there's a financial component involved if people have buyouts. But I'll tell you what, I would interview aggressively everyone involved in this. And if anyone even comes close to lying to me, I'd fire them with cause and not pay them. How dare you lie to me? You shouldn't be lying. You should. And, and so I'm, it's, it's a bunch, you know, you know what, here's what happens. And, and this is general business advice that I will give to anyone out there who's listening free of charge. And you're definitely going to get your money's worth. One thing I learned when I worked in law firms, and this is true in any organization, if you make a mistake, the best move is to own up to it immediately. Because 
if you try to cover it up, it's only going to get worse and it's only going to get worse. And when they do find out, and they always do, when they do find out what happened, you're going to have a big problem and a bigger problem because you covered it up. Own up to it, deal with it. And also, if you are in the habit of owning up to your mistakes, you will win in an organic, natural way, the trust of the people that you work with. Because they know you're not somebody who's going to be sneaky and trying to cover up your mistakes. You make a mistake, you say so. Hey, we're human. We make mistakes. Now, if you make a mistake every day, that's going to be a problem. If you make a big mistake that keeps your organization from closing a deal that was very important to the organization, like acquiring A.J. McCarron in trade, that's going to be a problem. But it's always better to own up to your mistakes. And I hope for the sake of the Browns, their fans, etc., Cleveland, that ownership as stewards of this franchise, because they're not going to own the franchise forever. They're the current stewards of the franchise, that they do the right thing and aggressively interview, investigate, and decide who ultimately screwed this up and get that person out of there. And if anyone is lying, you definitely get them out of there and you don't pay their buyout. And hopefully people will be truthful and honest about how this happened. I don't sense that that's going to occur because I sense that right now we are in protect our asses mode and say whatever we need to do to avoid the hammer falling. And that's no way to run any organization. All right. Thank you for joining us for this unexpected Thursday edition of PFT PM. Coming Friday, a full preview of the Week 9 games. Enjoy the rest of your day. Enjoy Jets-Bills tonight. I like the Bills, but what the hell do I know? We'll see you back here again on Friday. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.